As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. We had a home birth back in 2016. So we started a podcast about it. And then grew it into a birth brand to help future and current parents believe in their success with home birth. This is the place to hear home birth stories along with helpful resources and tips to feel empowered and supported in your birth journey. This is Doing It At Home. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Sarah. This is Doing It At Home. This is the place for you to feel prepared, excited, and confident about your home birth. Today's episode is Birth Vision, Informed Consent, and Body Autonomy with Rose Sheik. Before we get into that, just want to thank you for listening, welcome you again. We really appreciate you being a part of this space, however you found us, whatever number episode this is for you. Real quick, make sure you're subscribed, so hit that subscribe button, like and review as well if you are so inclined and feel so inspired. We greatly appreciate that on our end. It helps to grow the show. If you want to connect with us further, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, join the private Facebook group, learn more about our resources like our latest book that we just dropped in both audio and ebook format. And if you've ever gotten anything out of this space, if doing it at home has supported you in some way in your journey and you would like to give back to that, you'd like to be a part of that and pay it forward, you can do so through just simply donating to the space and sharing your energy in that way. And we will graciously receive that gift, put it right back into the space and continue to bring you amazing content and resources and home birth empowerment awesomeness. Okay. So today's episode, as I said, we're speaking with Rose Sheik. Some of the main topics you can expect to hear about informed consent, body autonomy, and birth vision right there in the title for you. We also talk about yoni steaming, 
yoga for birth method and sounds during labor, really sounds and lights and a lot of sensory experiences during labor and birth. So can't wait for you to hear it. Quick word from our sponsor, and then we will hear Rose's story. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, Rose. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm well. Hello, hello. Yes. Hello. We are very excited to have you here, Rose. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time coming. I feel like I've had this conversation with you guys <laughs> a few <laughs> times in my mind. Yes. That's I love awesome. that. This is the physical manifestation of it. That's exactly. great. Yeah. And we've been having fun before hitting record here. So I think we like almost forgot to hit record because <laughs> we were just rolling. So we'll uh, we'll pivot into the, the matter at hand here. And that's home birth and your journey with that. Um, before we do that, can you just share a little bit about yourself and your family and kind of set the scene for us? Yes. Um, so my name is Rose Sheik. I'm in New Hampshire in the Seacoast area. And my wonderful partner's name is Hugo. And we have two sons, Leif, who will be six in August, and Axel, who just turned one. And I'm a, I'm a woman and mama of all things wellness. <laughs> so I'm a wellness coach, yogi, um, creative, lover of things local and that's sort of what we try and bring into our family. Lots of time spent in nature, lots of mindfulness practices, and just appreciation of the time that we get to spend to e with each other, especially in the time of the pandemic. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Bringing it back to, you know, the root, bringing it back to that, that core, the, the nucleus, as it were. 
yeah, it was just such a wonderful time for choosing simplicity and really acknowledging how if we all moved back to that, things could shift in really profound ways. It was like a great slowdown reset. It was not great at first when I was pregnant 28 weeks and I'm thankful that I already had the home birth plan, but like, whoa, what's happening in the world? So mm-hmm. that moment <laughs> came along. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> we will, of course, get back into Cinder's story, but with Axel, he's, he just turned one. So that means in what, when was he born? He was born May 23rd, 2020. Okay. So oh, we yeah. were in lockdown. Yeah, that was like just a couple of weeks, couple of months after mm-hmm. things. Nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. Totally. It's an interesting experience. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll and it's shift- Yeah, we can get to that totally. Wow. I think I'm just thinking about a few years from now, like this whole generation of of babies and their mothers who are gonna have these stories to tell. I mean, we're already hearing them, of course, but just I don't know. I think there's going to be a collective impact of that in terms of like birth over this past year, what that'll mean for a lot of people. I'm not exactly clear. I'm I'm very being very esoteric here, but I'm just saying like there's something to that. Like that's a very interesting thing. Like you said, like you went into your birth, a little bit of chaos, things going on, not really knowing what to do. And then over the course of the year, you if you were a birthing person, you could have found yourself at any point in that spectrum from like not knowing what was going on to maybe it was a little bit more managed. Like it was just a very interesting microcosm for so many things. And I, I think we have yet to see really the impact of it on birth long-term. Yeah. We're still in it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah, Anyways. absolutely. It's something I'm paying attention to for sure. I bet you are, especially in your space and in like what you're doing in your, in your work and in your creative, that that has to be a part of it. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm right at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what drew you into the work that you do, Rose? Oh, once upon another lifetime ago, I worked in um, community mental health, but I entered it from the place of um, health and fitness. I was a personal trainer working with people with severe and persistent mental illness wow. in like this cutting edge wellness program trying to use lifestyle interventions to not only enhance people's mortality because the the comorbidities there and everything but mm-hmm. to to change their emotional and mental experience too to it's all interconnected right you know mm-hmm. we talk about them like they're two separate things and in in that world it was really segregated and separated and ultimately that's why I had to leave because i believe there is no disconnection between i mean what we think becomes how we feel, right? Mm-hmm. It shows up physically. So it was that experience that spurred me, but, you know, the l- layers of it unfolded after motherhood uh. <laughs> too. That was really a huge pivot point too when I started facing some of my own physical, mental, emotional um, challenges, I'll say. Opportunities for growth really and healing and transformation. So it's been a a little hodgepodge of um, things. You know, Mike's, uh, I'll I'll stop right there. We can get back to. You're speaking our language though. I'm like, yes, (laughs) so much alignment there. So I'm sure it'll keep weaving in and out. We really can't ignore it. It's just going to be there. So it'll pop up more in the conversation. But um, 
I guess to go back even further then from that that impetus into your work, home birth, you have a history with home birth. Tell us a little bit about that. It's a small history yeah. with home birth. <laughs> I was saying before, you know, tomorrow is my birthday. Tomorrow from this recording, June 8th. Um, I was born at home 37 years ago. My brother was also born at home 13 months later. And from what I told, I actually, it was, I'm told I actually witnessed his birth. It was the first birth that I witnessed. Oh, that's cool. So it started with my own. I witnessed my brother's. I don't remember. But at 25 years old, I actually was able to attend my sister's first birth in a birthing center. And that had a really profound impact, probably maybe even more so because I was nearing the age of readiness myself for bringing life into the world. And being there as someone getting to witness a birth um, was so, it was challenging, you know, (laughs) watching someone go through that, that you love very much. It was beautiful. It was moving. um, And that wasn't the first one. I mean, that wasn't the last one that I got to witness. A couple years later, I got to go to her first home birth. Uh, two years after that, I attended her her second home birth, her third birth, and I actually got to help with that one. <laughs> the midwife asked, does anybody feel strong? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> it's cool. me. I'm in it. Um, so, you know, I started with my like you said, my origin story was being born at home. And I feel like our birth story very much impacts our whole experience. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of science around it, even talking about the experience from birth to seven years old and the subconscious beliefs being imprinted at that time, right? So it started with me and then I had these really cool experiences of being a live witness mm-hmm. to a really powerful embodied like experience with my sister. I'm so grateful that she gave me that gift and and that opportunity to be there with her. Mm-hmm. So how did home birth come up for your parents then? You know, 1984, I, you know, think a ton of people were doing home births back then, especially if there are too many doing it now. Um, How did that come up for them? It wasn't a super 10, but we actually had our midwife live two miles down the road and she was sort of like a real midwife of the area of the times and has written many books. My mom's first birth with my sister five years before my own, much like I'll tell you in a minute about my birthing experiences, was in a hospital. Okay. Um, and, And she didn't have a positive experience with that. And I think there were many factors to that. Um. So then when it came around, she knew that she didn't want to go to the hospital again. And ironically, my father's house where I was born is five minutes from the hospital. Mm. <laughs> the midwife was two, two miles down the road and the hospital was two miles in the other direction. She went with the midwife. And um, yeah, it, it wasn't a popular decision, but she spoke out about it at the time. I think, you know, she had several letters to the editor after the fact, you know, just trying to talk about her experience and empower other women because, you know, the power really has been taken away from women historically with the culture of birth that we portray here and the fear mindset and the medical model of things. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool that she broke free of it at that time. 
That is cool. Yeah, absolutely. Did you get any interesting responses or, or feedback from people in your years growing up? Like, you know, if anyone just talking about where they were born or anything about their birth, did you ever get any like, what, you were born at home? Oh, yeah, I certainly didn't meet anybody else that was born at home. Gotcha. Now, now it's a little easier to find people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think I ever met another, maybe one of my mom's like hippie new age woo-woo friends. (laughs) (laughs) She was definitely in that sector at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So. (laughs) Yeah. So then, then you witnessed your sister's births, which I think is so incredible and such a cool thing for you to have as sisters, but then also for you, like you said, you were coming into an age where that was becoming a present, you know, possible reality for you. So then when you did become pregnant for the first time, what were those conversations? How did you feel? How did you and, and Hugo navigate that? Well, my dear love Hugo was not as uh, yeah. indoctrined into the idea mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as it usually goes for a lot of partners. You know, um, I don't want to say it usually goes because it's not always that way, but it wasn't by any means just natural or comfortable for him. Okay, He had a lot of questions about it. And, um, his experience coming into the birthing world, um, he was born in Brazil and the cesarean rate in Brazil is like somewhere around 60%. And a lot of it is, is by choice. Mm -hmm. So sort of coming from a really polar opposite experience of my own and his family's have their own belief system, right? We all stem from our family's belief system. So it wasn't really a conversation that in a loving way, he didn't want to do it. And he, and we didn't. I did not have a home birth for my first birth. Um, but what I did do was cultivate a home birth experience in my own right in a hospital setting. I love that. Yeah, I want to hear I, about that. I came in there uh, informed consent blazing and <laughs> body autonomy wielding. And I knew what I wanted to create. I had a vision for both of my births. I had a vision. I actually literally created a vision. I drew birth artwork for both of them. Wow. So he was comfortable with the idea of the hospital and me doing my thing within that. He needed to see it. He needed to experience it. And I needed to honor that. And I could do that. I could be okay with that. I didn't need to hold so gripping onto me believing in home birth. I knew ultimately that I would I would get there. That's um pretty powerful stance to yeah. take and and peace to find within yourself to make the choice that you did and just have that kind of internal knowingness because that's certainly something we see people in the community grapple with. You know, my husband or my partner, whomever is not on board, I really want this thing or I desire this thing, I envision this thing, right? And to where and how you kind of make that choice and how you can be okay with it and how you can both, you know, move forward prayerfully in a way that you're now in support of each other in this experience. That's a, that's it's kind of a, a toughie. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't in a lot of ways. Cause ultimately I think for me as the birthing person and the pregnant woman, I, I, like I said, I conducted myself 
in a manner of dealing with my providers, which was a team of midwives at a local um, women's health center. I was I was working with the midwives, but I went in there to the appointments with decisions that I probably would have made in the home birth space that people aren't making in a hospital setting, you know, refusing certain treatments, doing different things when it came to gestational diabetes testing and things like that. Um, I had very clear and specific language um, in my birth plan around how I wanted the environment to be, how I wanted to be spoken to in terms of measures of comfort over talking about pain management and things like that. You know, I, I went in there with my playlist and my birth vision and set up the room as much as I could at the capacity that I had when I showed up and I was really in it (laughs) when I arrived. Um, we had a doula as well. Uh, That was a very, I, that was a necessity for me that I said to Hugo, if we're not going to do this at home, I want to have this doula. And she's not only going to be a support person for me, she's going to be a support person for you. Mm. And she really, truly was. I can remember moments of looking over and he was looking at her and she was looking at him and they were kind of working together and he was getting reassuring energy and body language from her and the midwives all the way through in that, in that experience. Do you feel like you were a unique patient in in that space? Like what you said you brought and what, you know, what you communicated, what you envisioned beforehand you brought to the space? Like, do you feel like that was kind of a, a different thing for that staff to experience? Or what I'm really getting at is like, did you show them some things as far as like what's possible or maybe how they could take that and, and um, care for other people coming from your experience? So I do because I because I heard from a labor and delivery nurse that had been she told me I've been doing this for 35 years and I very rarely cry anymore. Mm-hmm. And for me at all of my sister's births there was just this explosion and movement of tears every time the baby come. And I told Hugo I said just be prepared. The floodgates will open. Birth is the most a miraculous thing to witness. It's magical. It just, it's an energy, like raw power and beauty. Right. And she said to me, Rose, I don't cry anymore. And I, not only did I cry, I looked around and everybody in the room was crying Mm. in this experience. I mean, I went in there and I think within five minutes I was buck naked and I don't know how many people feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, it's a great you point. Know, um, I was moving around on the yoga ball and doing a lot of sound making and breath work. Um, for both of the births, I should mention, I utilized the method called um, the yoga for birth method. And okay. in, in that model, it goes through 10 asanas or 10 postures for yoga specifically utilized for um, labor prep and in labor. And in the actual birthing class that we were able to take using this model back, they, they talk about medical interventions and the waterfall effect and everything. So they're informing you of what can happen and how physiology works and, and how to use the yoga for that. So I was doing that in the hospital. I don't know if they see that a lot. I'm sure mm-hmm. that, I mean, you see people moving their bodies and I love the mamas who, uh, who dance. 
Yes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, that's cool. cool. Right. So, um, I, I really went in there with a mindset with a, you know, like your birth acronym really mm. speaks to what I brought to that hospital setting. And I also knew that the hospital that I chose, I was told by other birth workers and friends of mine that it was the best setting to have, um, the best hospital setting that was most conducive to a home birth experience. Yes. If you will. Experience. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love that. And just a quick reference to what Rose mentioned, our birth acronym that um, broken down is beliefs, intuition, resources, team, and habits. And you can learn more about that on our website as well as it's broken down in detail in our new book that we just released. So you can learn all about that um, on our website. I'll put links to it. But um, what I love, Rose, is you went in with your vision right? It was about you and your experience. And then what I think is really magical is a natural byproduct of that can be how you impact and shift the energy or the the awareness of the care providers around you because of the powerful example you can set. So while, and I don't think you necessarily went into this with the with the goal on your back of changing anyone's perspective or evolving that space, yet you can Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, I so for those who you know maybe their their location shifts up or what or whatever changes that if you're just staying true with with that vision with with your informed consent informed choice you know that that some really cool things like that can come up like you can impact the care providers who have been around the block you know so to speak have seen a number of births but in a certain way you know who who you can impact it it might come up in the most unlikely places. And I think, yeah, I think aside from the, I think it's really awesome to impact um, the providers in that environment in that way. But, you know, for me, ultimately, it was relaying that message deeply into every cell of my being that this was our purpose and this was our mission. And this is what I believe my body was capable of doing. And I, and I spent a lot of time understanding the physiology of it too. Mm. I love me a book about birth too. I read plenty, (laughs) even though I had attended them, even it was, even though it was my, my, uh, origin story, uh, for me and for, for Hugo that time around seeing that first birth, I think really was the opening of the gateway to when the next birth came around, it wasn't even a conversation. It was more like, can I, I'm going to do a home birth this time. And he was like, okay. Got it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's great. Yeah. He's like, okay, that, that would be okay. Well, how does that work? Mm-hmm. And then we got into that whole, you know, vetting of the midwife and, um, experience. I'm curious, Rose, back with, uh, with Leif's birth, you had a very strong intention. You had a very strong and clear, you know, birth plan vision. At any point during the birth itself, uh, did anything come up that was trying to push you away from that birth plan or move you off of that intention? Meaning, did any doctors or nurses uh, recommend any sort of interventions or things that were not on your plan? Yeah. Um, well, I was really fortunate and grateful. I- poured a lot of energy into, um, 
my health and well-being during pregnancy. I didn't have any complications that took that took hold that took me out of my vision too much until I got to the hospital and I had so let me say I had Leif at 37 weeks and 4 days. So he was a little bit early and I had just done um strep B testing and I hadn't got the results back. I was actually due to have my next appointment the next day. Um, and so I arrived there and I got the results of it being positive. I don't think I did as much research on that at the time. Um, and I ended up having the antibiotics during labor. And so that was a little bit of a setback for me of having to be hooked up for the antibiotics for like a half an hour. I really wanted to get into the birth tub right okay. away. Mm. And I had to get that. And had to isn't really a statement that I even like to say right now because sure. in my informed consent and in my further research of the subject, I could have made a different decision and I probably would have for myself. Gotcha. Just weighing out all the different factors about strep B and the percentages and everything. It wasn't when it came time for my home birth, I didn't even have the testing done, to be honest. And so it wasn't even on the table of something like antibiotics were not going to happen. It, in my opinion, caused a lot of problems for me and Leif um, in our immune function and messing up a little bit of our microbiology. Mm. So, so I would have made a different decision there. So how did you or continue? And then there was one other thing um, after he was delivered. And I think, prior to the placenta being delivered, uh, they were concerned about excessive bleeding. And so a shot of Pitocin was offered. And I was saying, well, can we just wait till the placenta is delivered? I want to do delayed cord cupping. He hasn't even had a chance to nurse yet. The oxytocin's kicking in, the bleeding could, you know, like I was informed about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the nurse was giving a little pressure and I sort of looked to the doula on on that. And she was like, I think if she's suggesting it, you should do it. And so I did it and whatever, no, no problem. It has like a very quick half-life in your body and it's not the end of the world. Um, but when it came to my home birth, I was like, is this going to be a thing? It was in my mind from that experience. And I kept checking with the midwives, how's the bleeding? They're like, you really Uh, have like very little bleeding, nothing, mm -hmm. you know, could have been a totally different experience too that maybe I was bleeding more with Leif and not bleeding as much with Axel, but it left a little bit of an imprint on me. And it was like one of the conversations that kept coming up in our birth planning the second time around. Got it. Okay. Discussions. Yeah. So back after the, you got the antibiotics for the strep B, um, how did you kind of get yourself back into that center, back into alignment uh, and, and just reconnected with your, you know, the birth vision and attentions to keep things moving forward the way that you had envisioned them? Well, I didn't attach to it too much. Mm. I didn't, I didn't get too disappointment and let it be this like let down expectation unmet thing. Um, it just, it was what it was. We rolled with it. And I just pretty much, once they, I could still move, which was the key for me. And I was still on the yoga ball and I was still doing my thing. Um, I wanted to get to the tub, but you know, I could wait. I think it was like a half an hour that I had to wait. And I just didn't really drop out of the inward experience too much at that point. Nice. Because I went into labor with Leif at home in the middle of the night um, 
did a lot of eliminating, did a lot of <laughs> um, laying down as much as possible. By the morning, things were picking up, but I could still have breakfast. I meditated before we went to the hospital. I took a bath at home. I would have stayed home for a longer time if somebody ironically, they were calling me about my appointment the next day uh-huh. and they caught, they caught me in labor and they were like, we think you should come in. And Hugo uh-huh. was like, yeah, we should probably go. We should probably go. Cause we had to drive 30 minutes to get to the hospital. <laughs> so <laughs> it was good that we did. Cause by the time I got there, um, they checked me and I was like six centimeters. So <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't delay things too much. It, it was rocking and rolling. And I, when I got to the tub, I didn't get to stay in the tub very long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause they were like, we think we need to go back down the hallway. <laughs> so yeah. Wow. Okay. Well let's take a pause right here. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about birth number two. As humans we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. So you mentioned earlier that it when when it came time for your second pregnancy and thinking about the second birth, it was like, hey, we're doing a home birth. Okay, got it. <laughs> like let's move. Let's go. So how how was that? You know, shifting gears. I mean, obviously you got different care providers and, you know, the plan would be a little bit different in the sense that your physical location would be different. What were some of those conversations and planning? Well, I should backtrack a little bit. Cool. Just to be just to be fair to the whole experience. Okay. You'll, not- you'll notice my children are five years apart. So I I um I had a, a hard time postpartum. Okay. A pretty hard time anxiety and depression wise and had I did a lot of work with myself. I came to this really spiritual healing journey and and it took a long time to come around to the idea that having another child was even going to be 
emotionally possible. Mm. Um, and that Hugo was very largely a part of that conversation. You know, he'd be like, what do you think? Like anxiety wise and, you know, we're sort of in a sweet spot now where Leif's finally sleeping mm -hmm. and, you know, that conversation came yeah. up. So that was the conversation before the conversation where it was like, okay, <laughs> you know, there were more, there was much more back and forth of actually getting to the conversation about conception and having that be really available and diving into that. But then once we did come to a place where our hearts felt in alignment with this, this child was really being called into me. Like I, for me, I was already connecting with him. Mm. I, I, I was calling, I was having a conversation with a soul that wanted to come. And so was Leif. It was so interesting. Leif was like, my sister, he thought it was a sister for a really long time. My sister, you know, and he had a name and like, it was like, he knew this baby. Wow. And so we were making this case to Hugo who wasn't like not on board, but he had reservations, which were valid. Right. Just as he had reservations that were valid when it came to birth the first time. Mm -hmm. So once we got over that hurdle, uh, that little little bump, uh, it was like, okay, yeah, we can do that. So how do you do that, Rose? Like, oh, well, I'm going to start looking for providers and then we're going to meet with them. We're going to ask them questions. And this is where you really need to lay out any of your questions. And, mm -hmm. you know, most of his questions were still around what happens in the event of. Yeah. yeah. What do transfers look like? How do they work? How often do they happen? Right. Those kind of questions. We met with two midwives. We liked the first one, um, but she was a lone wolf. She worked alone and he didn't like the idea of not having a team of midwives having, t you know, four hands on deck. So we met with another one who partners um, with multiple midwives and we we got to her office. We started, you know, I knew what questions I had, which weren't too many. <laughs> I let him really kind of explore that. And we both just really felt connected to her and we rolled with it. And that was like really early. Like we connected with the midwife like around five or six weeks. That's cool. <laughs> pregnant. Very nice. Yeah. Can you remember some some more of Hugo's main questions? I think he wanted to know, you know, what the setup looked like, how, when the time come, they would actually be contacted, how quickly they would arrive, what the aftermath looked like, what the, what the actual emergencies were that would, um, require transfer. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she explained those really thoroughly, um, and after that, it was interesting because he still had some anxiety. He still had some reservations. And he actually said at one point, he goes, I don't know if there's anything you could make me watch or read or have a conversation that's just going to shake this little about, bit of anxiety mm. that I have. What's really interesting, we'll get to the birth stories, <laughs> his presentation during the actual birth was so different there didn't seem to be a shred of anxiety. And if you That's ask cool. him, there wasn't like, it was a really cool experience mm -hmm. like for switched, him. And I switched into that mode. And he was in that mode in the first birth too. I yeah. mean, I look at the pictures of him in, in the hospital setting and he's right there with me, hand on my back, 
leaning over, involved, like him and the doula, the first birth, scrambling to find something for me to um, vomit in was one of my favorite moments. (laughs) Makes me laugh. So um, I think he just, you you don't know what you don't know, right? And you don't know, you're never going to know from the onlooker perspective. Mm -hmm. You have that anxiety and that fear for what could happen to a person that you love so dearly. But I don't think he lets him. One thing that I really love about him is, and I hate it at the same time, is he's not a really stressed out person. And I'm like, how can you not? (laughs) Like, (laughs) you're chill all the time. How is that possible? He's like, well, I'm not. I just don't wear it like on my sleeve as much as maybe you do. Um, (laughs) But he, he expressed reservations. And then he sort of, he had his surrender moment with it too. And the way that it all worked out, which we'll get into, I think, led into that yeah that's that's powerful i mean i i know that's like when you kind of switch into that mode you know there's just something about it when it's game time and i think particularly i know for me as being a part of the process like you know asking my questions the way that hugo did being a part of conversations with my partner with sarah it's like you're you know you're you're talking about game time and then when it when it's here you can I just found that it was easy to kind of shift into that mode. It's like, okay, here, here, here we are. Let's go. Let's rock and roll. And so it sounds like it was really cool that Hugo was just for both births, got into that mode and showed up powerfully. That strong supporter. That's awesome. Mm. Let's do it. Let's get into this. So break it down for us. Cool. Rose. <laughs> oh, the birth. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. That thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, so as I mentioned, Leif came at 37 weeks and four days. And so in order to have a home birth in New Hampshire, and I don't know if it's the same in your state, you have to be at least 37 weeks. So besides COVID, right. <laughs> the only a little anxiety that came for me was there was conversations about me making it to that date. You got to make it to 37 weeks because, you know, sometimes you can go earlier with your second, you can follow the same trajectory. And so that caused a little bit of like, oh my God, am I going to make it from like 34 weeks to 36 weeks or right up to 37? I was like, come on come on. And I like, my midwife kept mentioning too. She's like, well, it's not like, (laughs) so that, that was a part of the story. Turns out (laughs) Axel didn't come until 39 weeks and two days. So I had this whole additional two weeks of being pregnant that I never experienced before, Mm. which maybe I did, maybe I didn't, because I think Leif came right on time. You know, I think the whole guest date is interesting how it yes. shakes out. Yeah. But I was in the space of we're isolated, COVID. I had intended to have my sister and potentially my mother be here. And for a number of reasons, pulled the plug on that. Um, my sister had a possible encounter with someone with COVID. And at the time, we just didn't know any, you know, it was crazy. It was like there was a lot of chaos around COVID. Um, My mother had, again, another incidence with a family member being in a hospital situation, and she was supposed to be here as Leif's person. 
And so the day that I went into labor, after weeks of people asking me every day if the baby had come, which I didn't even experience before, which I also found to be like a chaotic and sort of irritating experience, Mm. (laughs) which I just tried to mindfully be like, no, no baby yet. But at a certain point, I was like, this is my process and this is my liminal space. And I'm about to transition once again over the threshold and to become a mother again. And I need this space. So please just give me my space. Yeah. yeah. Um, but on the morning that he arrived on the, tw- or the morning of the day that he arrived, I had a complete meltdown, which was the case before Leif's birth too. I think that there is a big emotional release that is usually a good sign that birth is impending. That's cool. <laughs> you hear that a lot. Yeah. Um, I had this release on the phone with my mom about her not coming. She had to make peace with it. She was sort of really attached to the idea of being here. And I just had to really lay a boundary down for her and for my sister. And I grappled with it. And I, I was like kind of screaming and crying a little bit. And, um, and then I, one of the things I did for labor prep this time was I worked with a peri steam specialist. I don't know if you guys or your listeners are familiar with that, but it's no, also known as yoni steaming. Okay. I'm familiar uh, with that okay. term. Yeah. What so was the I first was, term you used? Peri? A peri steam, a peri steam specialist. I, okay. That might not be exactly it. Um, I should get my, my specialist names right. But um, I was doing some labor prep with, with herbs. So it's, basically vaginal steaming with a set of herbs that can help with the labor process. You only start, I think you only start that process at 38 weeks. So it was only a week into it. Mm -hmm. So I have this meltdown. I go and I do my steaming for 30 minutes and I go out to Hugo and it must've been like 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning at that point. And I said, this is how it's going to (laughs) go. I want to have this baby at night, which I was already having the conversation with him. I always say that Leif is like my yang, my sun energy, and Axel is totally my moon, my yin, Mm. like fire and calm. Like I was getting this, like he's coming at night. I know he's a nighttime baby. Mm -hmm. He actually came on the new moon, which is like really cool because there's like all this feminine and nurturing and quiet, dark energy around it. Mm. So I said, this is, this is it, Hugo it's, it's going to happen. I'm going to go into labor early morning. I'm going to progress slowly throughout the day. We'll just hang out with Leif. We'll put Leif to bed and boom, we'll have the baby. And so he goes, yeah, Rose, that sounds like a great plan. Yeah, let's do that. He's like, forget about all that other stuff with all the drama and all the who's coming, who's not. It's probably better for the midwives at this point. They're working with other families to just be here. And so I go to the bathroom right after that conversation and I had my bloody show and I don't think I lost my mucus plug, but I was like, Oh, okay, this is happening. (laughs) Like, okay, cool. So I spoke it into existence and now here we go. And so I went outside. It was a hot day and I played with Leif and I was doing my yoga for birth out in the yard, like under the sun, moving in the grass, breathing. And it was like, get a little sensation here and there, but it was pretty slow. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool that I got to just be with him and play. And we like we went yeah. about our business. He goes like, okay, cool. Um, I'm going to the dump. You'll be okay. Right. And I was like, yeah, it's like not happening right, <laughs> right now. So we did that throughout the day. 
I had a really hefty lunch. I said, okay, I'm going to fuel up now. Started progressing a little bit more around three o'clock. I was like, let's go for a walk. So we went for a walk and I remember a neighbor pulling up and all my neighbors knew at this point. That was the other thing. Like, <laughs> I know that some people have some reservations about telling people about home birth because you don't want to bring their fear or their opinion into the experience. I was cognizant of who, who I didn't want to bring into that experience this time, but I told like everyone in my neighborhood, which I, in hindsight I might not, because they were like watching for the midwife's car in my driveway. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I sort of felt like a little liberated by COVID, um, to be honest, in terms of home birth, to just like really truly, even though I had it planned all along and I believe so firmly in it as a safe place and a really cool experience, I just. I didn't have any reservations where I might have a little bit still before mm. to be like, yeah, I'm doing it at home. <laughs> yes. So all the restrictions and everything. Oh, I feel for everyone. Mm -hmm. So um, a neighbor pulled up anyway while we were on this walk. And I had been stopping at this point to take a few little, I'm going to stop and just breathe here for a moment on this walk because, okay, all right. We're, we're progressing. It's like 3.30 in the afternoon now. And she's like, any signs of labor? How are you doing? I'm like, no, nothing. It's good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> she she drives on down. I'm like, okay, all right, let's walk back now. <laughs> oh, wow. You're right in it. Yeah, we were in it. But even though they knew, I didn't, you know, you don't need, you don't need the pot to be watched when it's trying to boil, yeah, right? I yeah. had that stance with going to the late, going into labor with Leif too. Nobody knew that I was going to the hospital. Nobody got to know that I was having that, that experience. Um, so I got home and probably around like 4.30, I set up a restorative yoga posture and got out. I, I work with tuning forks, which are sound healing devices for tuning the human biofield. That's a whole other conversation. But I started doing some work with myself on that. And in a restorative posture, put on a hypnobirthing meditation, working with the chakras. And the sensations were really picking up at that point. And so I was, you know, like, okay. Like, I was starting to really get in the zone with it and letting it flow a little bit more. But still with a little bit of, a little bit of mind control around it. Because I had an end goal of Leif being asleep. Mm. I, I was torn. Because I, I would love to have had Leif in some ways be a part of the birth, but he's very reactive to pain mm. and emotions. And I know that about him and I sort of tested him in certain ways of whether it was really a viable thing for him to do seeing mommy in those, that state. And it mm. wasn't. So I needed him to be squarely soundly asleep in his bed. <laughs> so we ended up putting him to bed pretty early for him at that point, I think he was to bed by six o'clock, no problem, which was really cool. And so he goes up putting him to sleep and I'm down and I had a whole room sequestered in my house. I had this beautiful ability to set up a room for my birthing of, I had a bed cause I really wanted to, this whole pregnancy I should say was all about my postpartum experience. I learned so much more about that. Um, great book. If you're get, if your listeners haven't heard of it as the postnatal depletion cure. Okay. So I read that and really wanted to be in a state of rest, like the 40, 
first 40 days model. Sure. I had a bed on the first floor. We had our birthing pool set up. I had lights galore. I don't know if you guys <laughs> saw my pictures, but I had Christmas lights and I had these LED lights that infused the entire room with the color purple. And so the color purple mm. for me was really profound. I just had this like connection to it. It's connected with the third eye chakra. And I had this intuitive connection with Axel and he was like, he, he brought out my, the artist in me throughout my entire pregnancy. So the room had to be purple for me. So they're upstairs. I'm setting the lights. I'm in here. I got my yoga ball. I had contacted the midwife at that point to say, Hey, I think you want to make your way. She had like a 30 or 45 minute ride. I'm looking like getting closer to five minutes apart. So I was by myself for a while while Hugo was putting Leif to sleep. The midwife was on her way and I had my playlist on and I did some chanting. I worked a little bit more with my tuning forks. I think I answered a few texts, (laughs) people unknowing what was going on. Um, And then the midwife arrived and Hugo came down and he was filling up the tub we were just checking in. She checked his heart rate. Um, and she didn't do any checks. I didn't want any internal checks this time. It was all just her observation of my presentation. Mm. Um, and so things started to really pick up at that point. I was ready to get into the tub and it was ready. Um, we made it a little too hot. <laughs> I got in there and I was like moving around doing really in the work. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so hot. So I didn't know if I could stay in there, but I didn't know if I could get out. A second midwife. So I, let me back up. My midwife didn't show up until like 7, 7.45, something like that. And um, the second midwife didn't show up until nine o'clock. Once I was in the tub, there wasn't as much conversation. There wasn't as much me joking around. Um, I was really in the process. I was changing positions a lot. Um, both of my births and what I saw my sister and body included a lot of sound coming from, you know, Ina May says it best. I think that the cervix is a sphincter. And we need to, we need to vibrate. We need to keep our jaw loose to open up our hips, loose jaw, loose hips, right? So I both births made a lot of sound. Like I sounded like a, a, a cow crossed with a bumblebee, probably. (laughs) Like what an inventive description. Yes. (laughs) Buzzing. But it had a buzz. It had a very specific to it. You know? just making the sounds and moving around and being in the water. And the the vision that I had this time that I had drawn was me encircled in water in a squatting position to have the baby okay. with all of my chakras lit up. And I was playing the frequency of the chakras. The frequencies are, you know, I, I don't need to get into all that, but it's sounds that align with each of these energy portals of the mm-hmm. body. So I I remember Hugo was just right there and the midwives were sitting off to the side. I had chairs for them and they really just held this space for me to move and moan and breathe and every once in a while would just give a little reassuring check-in. Um, 
I would say it was really intense for me because it felt like the slow part was slow and easy. Like Leif's, Leif's birth was like 16 hours start to finish too. But I remember there being like a slower progression so that I moved through the transition. I feel like once my permission slip had been granted of Leif being asleep and active labor started, it was very condensed. So it was actually like all that stuff that was going on through the day didn't really matter. That part was like, whoa, super intense. My water didn't break until just before Axel was born, like probably a half an hour before he was born in the water. And so I was like, whoa, I did have a moment in there. I was like, oh man, if this goes on much longer, I don't know. You know, and she's like, well, just by the fact that you're saying that means it's not going to go on much longer. <laughs> and we can tell by the way that you're moving and the noises that you're making, it's, it's going to happen soon. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. And I had this really profound moment of deep surrender of going, oh my God, isn't this remarkable? It was like time stood still for a moment. And I was like, isn't it remarkable that you can be in this moment of panic and pain and fear, but alongside it is this exquisite and profound love that is so overpowering of those other factors. And that when this is over, that's all that there's going to be. Like I spoke it out loud to Hugo. I think the midwives had even left the room at that point. He was like, yeah. He's like, you're doing really great. He's like, he, he's like, the midwives aren't even doing anything. I was like, a duh, like, yeah. <laughs> not a duh, but you know, you know. Yes. Um, so then Axel, he was really starting to move down and I hadn't experienced any hind pressure. I'm going to say that in a polite way. For now, I was really getting a lot of pressure in my rectal area. And I was like, I think he's coming out of my butt. <laughs> They're oh, like, man. They're like, we have a lot of experience between the two of us. That hasn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it just was a lot. It wasn't like back labor. It was like back behind labor yeah, for me as his head was moving down. Um. I was in the squat position that I had envisioned, and I just remember my water breaking shortly thereafter. She was checking, and she could tell that the you know his heartbeat had moved way down. We still couldn't see or feel the head. My body started feeling the need to push, so I was trying to lean into that because one thing in Leif's birth that I wish I could have slowed down a little bit was the pushing part. I pushed for like 28 minutes and boom, he was out. And I think I pushed a little too intensely where my body could have had its reflex and done a little bit more of its job itself Mm -hmm. where I had a little tear with Leif and I was really wanting to just have this be more of a surrender and more of the body does the work experience. Mm -hmm. So I was leaning into that. Um, Finally, his head did, passed through that ring of fire <laughs> and that's quite an experience it, it was the first time and was the second time and then one maybe push later again it was a very quick pushing process they even though I wanted to slow it down it did feel slower they said it was only like 15 minutes in my mind it was like the whole thing <laughs> um, 
and wow. he was out and and he's I looked into the water and I was just like it was all lit up he was glowing and I got to reach down and draw him up he did have a little bit of a cord entanglement so I was careful to and the cord was short so I had to be careful to bring him up mm. and then it was just like ugh. How do you even describe the floodgate of that moment of everything that you were just going through? It's, it just goes to show you that everything is temporary. All these feelings that we think are never going to end, all these situations that we get so reactive to, you know, it's all temporary. And it was just like, oh, my God, you're here. And I looked at him and he had a little crooked nose. <laughs> off to the left and Hugo saw it right away too. And he goes, Oh, his nose is crooked. (laughs) And then the next thing that I noticed was he has a downward V birthmark on the center of his forehead. So if you know anything about the chakras and what I'm saying about purple and stuff Mm -hmm. and all of my intuition and connection that I was having to him through pregnancy, this was remarkable to me. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) look at this downward V on his forehead. You know, and then we were just hanging out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> just <laughs> had a baby. Just I was like, yeah, I had a baby. That's um, amazing. So I'll take a pause there because that was a lot. That was a lot, but I'm so happy you shared all of that. And yeah, for those who, even if you're not familiar with or or uh, the chakras, you know, resonate with you as a thing in your life, I think we can all appreciate synchronicities and things that you know, you set intentions for or think those uncanny things, you know, that just show up and you're like, whether it's a deja vu kind of thing or like, I can't really explain that or you can't really make this stuff up kind of thing or you think about something and it pops up and you summon these things into your life. I think that's a really powerful example of that, of that synchronicity, of the connection that you two had been building and creating before his physical manifestation in your womb and to then see him now in the physical here he is you know hi mama I think that's so so sweet Mm. it was and it is so Rose (laughs) yes one of the things that I I was doing while you were sharing you talked about the color and the lighting I went to to mama stay well on Instagram and I'm looking at these pictures of the space it looks incredible the way that you all lit this space, I mean, like the, the tub looks like it's glowing and the walls are purple and pink. And I recommend anybody listening, if you're able to, go check out some of these photos of how the space was lit. It looks like a, I don't know, like a dream. It looks something completely, I've never seen a, a, a birthing room just lit up like this. Mm-hmm. And so that adds such a wonderful element to your story to kind of put yourself in that space and... Yeah, it just looks so incredible. Yeah, it was. And thank you for that. And it, and it was also, you know, it was lit up, but it still had that like darker, quiet quality yeah. that is condu- more conducive to birth, right? They say like more births happen at night. It's when we feel like most primally safe mm-hmm. for birthing to occur when the animal in us feels like we're in that safe space to birth. So it wasn't overwhelming, but it was really like, it carried the energy, it carried the energy through the sound and the light and the, 
and the vision that I had close by too. I mean, I had mantras for both of them as well. And for Axel's, it was, I, I surrender, I surrender fully to the power of love. Hmm. And for Leif, it was, um, I am a being of expansive potential. Both of those are very powerful. Someone's writing that down right now. It's going up on their wall. So I love it. (laughs) You said that, um, with Axel, he was your, you called him the soulful yin baby. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. again, going back to these pictures, I mean, I can see like the blues and the pinks and the purples and the water element. Um, and you're right. It's just, it's dark in there. I don't know. I'm, this is cool. This gives me Getting some inspiration. Ideas. Yeah. Cause <laughs> you know, we had, we had our, our lighting and everything, but I've never seen something lit like this. So again, everybody go check out mama, mama stay well on Instagram. And uh, as Sarah mentioned earlier, we're going to put links to all that in the bottom of the show notes. We sure and, will. And um, Rose, will you share just one last piece of advice, insight, just wisdom to other mamas and birthing people out there who are listening to your stories? Mm. I think that there's a returning to trusting the innate capacity of our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual energy form uh, that I, I, I want us to all be invited to return to. There's a, there's a deep inner knowing that we all possess if we block out all of the external stimulus and noise and distractions. A lot of it is distraction. A lot of it takes you out of your power and your truth. A lot of you, a lot of it makes you believe things about yourself that are not true. So I just think knowing who you are and trusting yourself and what your, your true authentic voice is really plays into any experience, but especially the birthing experience. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing That's that. Powerful. Thank you for sharing so much of yourself today from, you know, your family, your your birthing history, all the way back, you know, from where it really began, began with you. <laughs> you know, I feel like we've been on this epic journey. So I'm so grateful to you um, for your sharing. I will put links to your website, your social media, so others can connect with you, learn more about you, follow all that great stuff. Rose, thank you. Thank your family for us. We appreciate you. Yes, thank you so much. And I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for having me. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved? Datages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Datages. That's D A D A G E S, wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>